It is Danny and Gallant. It's a Friday. We get Michael Bumpus in here for an hour. He joins us as we get set for the Seahawks, their final preseason game, which is tomorrow. It's time for Blue 42. Here we go. This is Blue 42. We're going to go red, right, tight, close, sprint left, GU corner, halfback, flat, on two. Ready, right. Now here's your host, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Blue 42. Blue 42. Set up. Closing time for the preseason. Saturday night. Thank God. Michael Bumpus. We're about to see, hopefully, some starters in tomorrow night's game. I don't know how much we actually expect to see them, especially with what happened to Ben Burkhurvin and John Ursua last Saturday. What should we be looking for? And what do you think is going to qualify as a successful night for the Seahawks? What should we be looking for? We should be looking for little things. All right. Getting in and out the huddle, right? This is a dress rehearsal. Getting in and out the huddle. Efficiency on third down, flow of the game. Are they going to speed the tempo up? Are they going to slow it down? Um, concepts, are we going to see these crossing routes? Are we going to see this quick game? People getting out healthy. Communication, right? It just has to feel like the first team is out there. It has to flow. Now, you might not go on a 10-play, 82-yard drive. I just want to see one or two third downs picked up. I just want to see an offense that looks like it's clicking and everyone's in the right spot. I want to see a quarterback that's protected and getting the ball out of his hands quickly. I want to see one or two runs by number 32, lower the shoulder, lower the boom. So I'm like, look, I'm healthy, I'm in shape, I'm ready to go. I just want to see glimmers of hope from this offense. And I don't want to put too much on it because we know we're only going to see these guys for a series or two if we're lucky. But after what we've seen the last two weeks, 10 points by this offense, we understand that it's twos or threes. You got to give the people something to believe in at this point because I know that people are putting so much into these preseason games. They're uh, they're going crazy right now. The Northwest is going crazy. So like, give them something to ease them, right? Just, just look smooth, look efficient, and uh, get those guys in and out quickly. We're, they're not going to be in there for long. I don't care about the score. It's all about looks, right? got to look in the mirror. It's about vanity right now. It's all about looks when it comes to this offense. I'm not sure if we'll see Travis Homer. He's been practicing this week. He was activated from the physically unable to perform. Usually they have a week of practice before. But to me, the guys with the most to gain here are the backup running backs. Homer, if he plays, Rashad Penny, and then DJ Dallas. And specifically, I saw a report yesterday that Rashad Penny, Greg Rosenthal, who's our friend at the NFL Network, said, I, I could see him being traded. I was like, I don't see a scenario where Rashad Penny gets traded. Because I don't know who you're going to have to cut that you want to keep for him. And his value, like, what's he going to fetch? A seventh-round pick? I, I, what, what, what are you going to get? For, no, like, the value of having him as a backup running back. But those, those three guys are going to all be competing for opportunities behind Carson. Yeah, I don't see Rashad Penny being traded simply because of the things that you just said. What are you going to get for this guy at this point? I think you got you got to ride with him. You got to give him this last opportunity. Everyone knows that this is his last go around. He needs to show that he can make it twelve to fourteen games and he can rush for three hundred to four hundred yards and be a, a good backup. And I think he did, he should get a lot more reps this this game too. I think it should be him, Alex Collins, and, and DJ in the rotation. DJ has done more than Penny at this point, so maybe you you tell DJ to chill, man. We're going to use it in a kick return game. We know that you made this football team. Penny has to show that he can take a hit. That's what it's all about. And um, this is big for him, man. So if you want something to look at, 
Let's watch Rashad Penny and let's see how he performs. The big thing for him, he's got that explosive second gear, or at least we hope he still has that explosive second gear. And we saw it in that game against Philadelphia where he had that big touchdown run. What was it, 60 yards or something like that? Yeah. I'm hoping that we see something like that. But I'm not expecting it at this point, which is a bummer. I, I, I feel for him. I mean... It's not his fault he tore his ACL, and it seemed like he was finally figuring it out right before he did. Got to feed him. Set him up. Give him a screen or something like that. Try to get him in space. And I think he needs to feel that, too, and I think he wants that. He's a competitor at the end of the day. He's here to compete. I think he wants the opportunities. Let's just see what he does with it because DJ Dallas is looking good. Say it, DJ. DJ Dallas. There we go. <laughs> Question two. The Texas wanted it. <laughs> Nobody wanted that. No, seriously, someone texted in. They, I guess we're taking requests now. <laughs> Is there a matchup in Saturday's game that we should be watching? Matchups all across the board. Now, I'm talking about matchups within with the Seahawks, the cornerback matchup. You see what the linebackers are going to do. Um, that defensive line, what receivers going to step up. But we got two coordinators, man, who used to coach with each other last year. You got Staley and Waldron. Yeah, Staley, first-time head coach with the Chargers. He's a defensive guy, had the number one defense in the league last year. You got Waldron, who's bringing this this offense to Seattle that's supposed to change the game. Now, I know you don't game plan for preseason, but these dudes got to throw a little something in there for each other. They got to know Waldron has to be telling these guys, look, this is what to expect in this situation. And Staley has to be telling his boys, look, this is what they like to do. So this is a preseason game, but if these guys are the alphas that I think they are because you are NFL coaches, you've made it this far, you got to have a little something-something for your boy on the other side of the ball. <laughs> so I just want to see how they approach this game. What are they going to throw out there? How, how are they going to perform? I'm, I'm interested. I really want to see these cornerbacks do something that makes me feel a little more confident in them going into the year because every single day, Bump, I am growing less and less confident in the group. Part of it has to do with the Trey Brown injury. Part of it has to do with the fact that they felt the need to trade for John Reed. I don't know what really can be done in a game like this to make me feel a whole lot better outside of an interception, but, you know, the interception that we saw in, in preseason game number one, that just came on a really dumb throw by Nathan Peterman, who was under pressure. So, I, I, I guess... What do you think could perhaps ease my concern about the cornerback position in this game that isn't a real game and isn't going to likely have the jazzy offensive schemes that we so want to see? Passes defended. I think if you see corners get their hands on the football and bat it down, you might feel a bit better. I think that if you see a corner squeeze a receiver to the sideline and the quarterback throws it out of bounds and they give that get that out of here hand gesture that they like to do, you might feel better. I think if you see a corner come up in the flats and and hit a running back or, or hit a tight end going out to the sideline, you might feel better. You're right. We've been underwhelmed when it comes to the play of the corner so far. And um, I feel your concern. I think they're going to be okay. I just don't expect the corners to be a strong point of this football team. So that, that's the way I look at it. I'm like, look, the D-line is going to have to create pressure to help these corners out. The safeties are going to be good to go. So, yeah, you just want to see these guys get their hands on the football. That's something we haven't seen in, in the preseason game, but we've seen it all throughout camp. They got to make the transition to when the lights are on. You mentioned something that I think wide receivers must absolutely hate. Defensive backs that jump up and make the incompletion dance, <laughs> especially when I would say a good 70% of the time they did absolutely nothing. 
Yeah, you know you got those DBs, man. You know they get they get torched so much and get roasted so much in the media. I guess they got to take every opportunity <laughs> they 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 can get to show that they did something. It gets annoying, but as an athlete, you got to trick yourself, right? Anything you have you can do to make yourself believe you're making plays, go for it. DBs, that's what they do. Let me ask you one question. We, we always talk to you about your playing career, but you coached. Did you ever go up against uh, somebody you had served on a staff with or had been on your staff and where you had a little something for them? You're like, yeah, I, I got a little something for your defense right here. Yeah, so my um, my second year at Monroe, we played uh-huh. Snohomish. I coached at Snohomish. And uh, the head coach over there, you know, in Snohomish and Monroe, that's a big rivalry. Yeah. Seven miles away. It gets crazy out there. And some of their players were, were talking to my kids, and, and it, it got nasty out there. So I lit that scoreboard up on them. I'm like, all right, <laughs> yes. let's get it. It's like 50-something to six. Sorry, Snohomish. I love y'all, Snohomish, but I had to do it. No, you care about high school uh, rivalries then. If you're going to run it up, that's great. I mean, I ran it up to the third quarter, you know, and then I set, I set my dogs down and put JV in there. <laughs> you know who made his high school coaching debut last night? Who? Philip Rivers. Philip Rivers did. Forgot. Afterward, he looked awesome. It looks like he is born for that job. Like, I've always found Rivers kind of annoying about how much he talks, and maybe it's that I know he doesn't curse, so I just think that he must be a a more... um, a better person than me, so I resent that because I'm a dark on the inside kind of kind of soul. But him (laughs) talking about the importance of high school football was really cool. Yeah, man, he talked about, man, he said there was one point he looked around, he saw his kids on the sideline, he saw his brother calling plays, his dad and mom were in the stands. I mean, that is what's so special about high school football is that it's family, man. Everybody is there, and um, you make a great impact on these young men. So that's why it's so rewarding. That's why I coached for 10 years, man. I just couldn't get away from the game because it's so awesome seeing a kid who made maybe five plays in a varsity game come back years later and just talk about, you know, what you meant to their lives. So, Phillip Rivers, man, he's not cursing out there, man. As a coach, I got a potty mouth. I don't know how he does it. So, <laughs> I know. good for you, Phillip. Question number three. I love hearing that story. Run up the score. Let's go. Like Jack Riley, in the, the, the real hero of the Mighty Ducks movie, the coach of the Hawks. You know, Gordon Bombay is an alcoholic booze bag who used hockey to, uh, you know, date Charlie's mom and then ditch her so he could go play minor league <laughs> hockey. But anyway, that's besides the point. <laughs> Quadre Diggs, he's holding in. And he tweeted, can't deny me what I deserve yesterday. So I don't know if this situation is getting to a point of real contention or concern for the Seahawks that he might not be out there week one. But Diggs has played well here, and he wasn't getting paid that much when he was in Detroit. How do you think Seattle's going to play this bump? I think they're going to slow play like they've done everything else, like they did Jamal, like they're doing Dwayne. I think they're going to be really strategic and calculated in their moves, but I think something will be done. The Hawks have done a good job of at least – trying to make players feel like they're appreciated you're not always going to get what you want because there is a salary cap and you know people say all the time you can move anything around and make it happen so i i would assume that the hawks are going to do something to satisfy Diggs, and he should man i mean pro bowler last year ledger teams and picks there's no denying what he does like he kind of gets overshadowed by jamal adams and bobby wagner right and then now the focus is on daryl taylor what's he gonna look like oh you're bringing carrie hyder Let's not forget the guy who holds down the vacuum when Jamal's in the box causing havoc. 
You know, there's a reason why you brought this guy over. Who who was it before? Was it Thompson? Was um was the uh, the safety before? We had Madugo Hedrick. over there. Guys were cool, but they're not doing what Quandre Diggs does and have done for this football team. So I'm not mad at the dude. And, and people who get mad at athletes for wanting more money and holding in and holding out, man, you just don't understand how the game goes. If you're if he blows his knee out tomorrow, the Hawks will bring in the new guy and, and get rid of him. And that's just the nature of the business. So he has to make it be known that he wants more money. I think he deserves more money. If you look at his stats and you compare it to guys in the league who have done things that he's done, he's not he's he's, he's underpaid. So hey, I ain't mad at him. I, I but I really believe the Hawks will get something done. I think they will too. And the one thing that people need to understand is that this is this did not just become an issue. In the the entire time for months, the the order has been established that it was going to be Jamal Adams and then Quandre Diggs. And unlike the situation with Dwayne Brown, which we'll talk about in just a second, Seattle has indicated that it, it is going to engage in talks on an extension. So, yeah, may, maybe this is going to take a little longer than anybody wants. I, I I do think something is going to get done. And like you said, Bump, there's just a lot of incentive on both sides. Like It wasn't that long ago that Diggs was getting pushed out in Detroit. He's landed in a great spot that showcased him, and he made a Pro Bowl. And I, I, I do think that this one is going to be get, end up having a good resolution. you got to keep your core pieces together, and he's one of those core pieces. you got, again, Bobby Wagner, Jamal Adams, and I will put Quandre right behind those guys when it comes to essential parts of this defense. And you have to have conversations with him. Like you can't you can't you can't go dark on him. You can't just disappear and say, look, we're gonna table this thing. There has to be communication, right? It doesn't have to be done right now. It doesn't have to be done tomorrow, but there has to be a steady progression towards them making a deal. The worst thing you can do is kind of say, nah, Quandre, Quandre, we'll get you later. Let's worry about this. Now nah, the man deserves some respect. And from what we hear, we saw how the Hawks handled the Jamal Adams deal. Five months it didn't get done. But when when it was all said and done, it was clear that they were in communication the whole time. So I, I think the Hawks will approach this situation the same way. That is Blue 42. We will get to the Dwayne Brown situation here in just a second. Uh, there was a, a ranking, kind of a freaky ranking that was put together. And Michael Bumpus is a Pac-12 alum. Uh, they ranked the mascots. And on the list toward the top, uh, the Oregon Duck was ranked seventh best, which puzzles yeah. me because isn't the Oregon Duck a ripoff? Like it's not. I mean, well, it's Donald. It's Donald Duck. It's with familiarity. It's familiarity with Donald Duck. You know, it's Dude. it's cheating, but I I can see why. Come on, like they took a Disney they took a Disney mascot and gave him different clothes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, it, it could be worse though. You could be the the Cal Golden Bear is apparently the worst mascot that there is. And I didn't get that. Oh yeah, he's Cal's ugly. Mascot, really? He's, yeah, he's he, ugly, man. Look at him. Look at his stupid face. I mean, it looks like he hasn't changed since the fifties. Like right. yeah. the same look. He has no he has no jaw structure. He's a bear. Like, <laughs> what's going on here? You look like a total wuss. And and then I mean, your arch rivals. That's you know the. The, the tree that looks like it's been doing uh, some some acid. I mean, uh, <laughs> like it's you know you got you got a real ugly uh, bunch of guys in Northern California. That's for sure. I will say this for the tree: like the tree is probably my favorite mascot in the conference, but it's only because of how much Dave Wyman. <laughs> yeah, I heard him talk <laughs> like, about it the other it's, day. It, it's only because of how much Dave Wyman Wyman dislikes it. Because like if if people at Stanford thought. It was great and like really liked the tree. Then I'd be like, I hate that tree. But I found that most people at Stanford 
are annoyed by the tree too. So I'm like, you guys kind of deserve that. Like you've got a great institution and you have a mascot that you're ashamed of. It's checks and balances. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you know, I love Butch. I love Butch, Butch. is great. Butch is better but, than the Huskies mascot. I'll say Butch that is right just, now. And he's full of personality, right? Butch yeah. is just if, if you've ever watched a WSU game or an event, Butch is everywhere. But I, I, I have to say that USC's um, mascot is kind of fire, man. The Trojan no! warrior. I kind of the dude kinda doing like the USC. dress up. I kind of like it. I kind of like it. But really? You don't, live, you don't live there anymore. You don't have to lie. <laughs> no one likes USC. They're the worst. You, you don't have to like USC. I appreciate their mascot, man. Uh, it's a, he's like a warrior. You know, He's a Trojan. You know what I think of? I just think of um, uh, Troy. You know, I love that movie. So I think of Troy. Think of Troy yeah, Troy, know. bunch of idiots. The Trojans, they, they, let a, they, they let a wooden horse into their city, and they thought that was a cool <laughs> gift. What a bunch of morons. The, the thing that I've never – I mean – Look, I'm biased. I hate USC. Soup to nuts. Hate him. Have hated him when I was a kid. Have hated him when I was in college. Like, never liked it. Like, at least the Oregon Ducks, there was a point where I lived in that state, and they were kind of benign. I've just always thought it's like a Halloween getup for him. Like, it's weird when you have somebody that's play acting. A cartoon mascot is a lot better. Like, Wilbur the Wildcat is a better mascot than, than Mr. Dress-Up. Down at down at the Coliseum with this white horse named Traveler, <laughs> like Mister Mister that it's like it's cosplay. Like that's what he's doing. It's some sort of weird cosplay. It, Go to Comic Con, nerd. It does so, look. Oh, go ahead, Bob. So who's the best? Like who do you, who who's who's the best mascot? It's not the Ducks. Maybe Butch. Like the Huskies. I like I like Dubs or now Dubs too. I like the Live Dog. We, we messed it up, though, by getting Harry the Husky involved. And I don't know if Harry's out there. Maybe his feelings will be hurt. But that's stupid. We should just have the dog. Like, we don't, we don't, we don't need a cartoon dog. Like, we, get an actual Husky. Husky's a majestic animal. It's fine. How about UCLA? I, I UCLA's like, is pretty good. I, I like it. I mean, he, he actually looks like a bear, unlike Cal's. And that dude <laughs> is, you know, wearing the, I think, sexiest uniforms in the Pac-12. I think that UCLA basketball and football. not bad either. Sparky. Yeah. Sparky's it, not bad at the, with the Sun Devils. Like, Sparky's pretty fun. He looks tough, man. Like, he, yeah. He's probably the toughest looking mascot in the Plus, Pac-12. he's got a pitchfork, man. He's running around. He'll, he'll run around and fork you. <laughs> he looks like an evil person from the 1920s yeah, that puts people on train tracks and ties them up. All right, you can you can text in seven ten. Yeah, he does he does have a little bit of that lethal lethal sort of yeah. yeah it's the he's, mustache. He, he, yeah, he's kind of conniving. He's a, he's a conniving sun devil. You can text in seven ten seven ten. It is the Mac and Jack's text line. Either best or worst Pac twelve mascot. Our training camp coverage brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. I I heard this would be the first piece of bright news that I've heard regarding Dwayne Brown. Comes from Mike Garofalo of the NFL Network, and he laid out. What I think is actually a possible path to a resolution. Here's Mike. What could happen in the short term, from what I gather uh, from sources, is that the Seahawks are going to maybe try to get creative to sweeten this year, the last year remaining on the deal. He's scheduled to make $10 million in base salary, but on top of that, he's got a little bit more in incentives, playing time, pro ball, those types of things. So maybe you can play with that money a little bit. We've seen teams do that before, not add years to the deal, but basically uh, sweeten whatever is left in the deal. So we'll see. Perhaps that would be a way for the Seahawks and Brown to end this as we start to get really close to the start of the regular season. So if, if Brown was thinking about retirement like he supposedly was this offseason, isn't this, isn't this something that you think he'd accept? Just a little extra summon summon? I don't know. I mean, I could, I could see it going... Going both ways for him, where 
He's saying he wants guaranteed money into next year. And I think that the Seahawks are fairly adamant. I don't think the Seahawks are going to add years to this deal. The If you could add a couple of incentives that would maybe tip the scale and where Dwayne says, okay, I'll play this year. But that idea of he's looking for money guaranteed next year and the Seahawks are adamant about that, I don't know if a few million here is going to make the difference for him. Because he's actually saying, hey, in order to go through this again, I want some insurances that I'll be back next year and that you're not just going to wring every last drop of play out of me and then discard me. The the main factor is, is he going to be able to perform this year, mm-hmm. right? Now, there's no denying what Dwayne Brown brings to the team, but he does get banged up. He plays a position to where he's going to be in battle every single down. I would think that throwing some more guaranteed money at him this year and just and this. Be honest with him. Like, look, Dwayne, you're 36, man. Let's just see if we, if we can get through this year. Let's throw a couple mil on top of this thing, and let's see what happens. If you get through it, then we're good to go. That's the the logical thing. But as an athlete, you're always trying to protect yourself. You're like, look, man, I might not, I might not make it through. I need, I need to, I need more security in this situation. I don't know, man. It, it's a tricky situation just because of his age. If he was two years younger, I think this deal would be done and we wouldn't even be having this conversation. But as Dwayne, Dwayne's like, look, I'm 36, but I feel 34, so give me 34-year-old money. Um, there has to be a middle ground somewhere. I, I'm just not sure what it is. Paul, you asked it from Dwayne Brown's perspective. How about from Seattle's perspective? Let's take what Garofalo is saying that, hey, they're they're willing to add some money this year. If you're the team, is it smart to say – We'll pay you three million more or make three million more available to you this year, but we're not adding years. Or would it be to say, hey, we'll guarantee your eight million of next year's salary? Because on the first scenario, he's still a free agent at the end of this year. Right. Right. And that three, if you've added three million dollars to it, whatever way you did it, that's money you spent to get a year you already had him under contract and then he's leaving. If you added, say an $8 million salary that's guaranteed for next year, if he stays healthy, you still got the possibility of him coming back. You're essentially, the $3 million that you would have paid him this year, well, that's almost half of what you'd have to pay him for next year. So you're still leaving yourself with the same long-term question. You're not vulnerable to him him being so banged up he doesn't continue, though. That That's an interesting way to put it. I, I think the big Which prob- way would you do it? Well, I look at next year, and I don't have a left tackle, so I mm-hmm. also think it's in their best interest to make this happen a little bit longer and I guess give Dwayne maybe the option of whether or not he wants to come back next year, but also have that same way. And here's the other tricky part. So you've created a little bit of extra cap space for yourself this year with the Jamal Adams extension. What do you want to use that cap space for? Is it to, as you just said a moment ago, pay a little bit extra to a guy that you have already under contract? Or do you want to have that waiting in case, I don't know, you want to sign K.J. Wright back? Or maybe there's somebody else that might be a free agent coming up after the final roster cuts in just a couple of days that you might want to bring in. There are some options that are still, I think, potentially available for you to use that money. And the good thing is, I mean, you got about, what, like two weeks in between the end of the, uh, the preseason and the actual start of the regular season. So you got some time, I guess, to figure it out and potentially come to some sort of arrangement with Dwayne Brown. But... I, I think that that would be what I would ask myself if I'm Seattle is 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 giving him extra money right now worth perhaps what I would not be able to get if I give him that extra cash. Benny Beaver, enough said. That's from the four two five. Benny is a fantastic mascot. Ballard best Beavers. mascot, best best mascot is the Colorado Buffalo. Okay, Ralphie's awesome. 
I still don't consider Colorado and Utah full-fledged Pac-12 members, though. They're still like the colonies. Like, they're, they're half members. <laughs> like, they're not this really— is, This is why yeah, the Pac-12 is dying. Because yeah, no. Eh, well, I don't care. I don't care about too, that. You guys are too elitist with the, the with the, with the uh, clicky nature that you guys ha- operate. Yeah, maybe it's Colorado. They're way too far inland. It's Danny <laughs> and Gallant. We're gonna go this or that. That's coming up next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on seven ten ESPN Seattle. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Are we ready to choose? I think we're ready to choose. This or that. Shoot. This or that. Might. And eventually, engine engine number nine will come down the New York transit line. And when that train goes off the traps, we'll pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. All right, Maura. Get us back. I love how happy Danny gets for this every time. <laughs> oh, love it. Drez, D-R-E-S. All right, first up, guys. Which of the following rookie QBs ends up having the best season? Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, Justin Fields. Zach Wilson or Mac Jones? Come on. Not Zach Wilson. Facts. This is tough. No, it's not. I got it. Justin Fields, man. He's going to Yeah, do it. there we go, got, Bump. He's got a run game. He's got a decent receiver. This guy is built for the NFL, today's NFL. He's big. He's strong. He can throw the ball down the field. He can get outside the pocket. The only thing that's going to hurt him, actually going to help him, is Andy Dalton. Out there getting in front of him and uh, and making it look easy for him. Making it look like, you know, Justin Field is going to be the guy to save the day. I think Zach Wilson is going to never amount to anything because he's with the Jets. Poor kid. I feel sorry for that guy. Trevor Lawrence has to save one of the worst franchises in the world with a head coach who seems like he's over his head. Urban Meyer looks confused as heck on the sidelines. I'm like, I don't think he knows what he's doing. Trey Lance is going to be the one to push him. But right now, I'm going with Fields, man. I'm feeling the kid. I am trending towards Fields because with Mac Jones, I don't think he's going to start the season. I don't think that Trey Lance is going to start the season either. There has been so much, and even from myself, putting down of Zach Wilson that I almost feel like, are we going a little bit too overboard? Oh, yeah, do it, man. Do it. It's definitely a good, like, if history teaches you anything, like, it's really good to pick the Jets as a sleeper. Like, <laughs> this is going to be the year that they here, finally put that together. He, well, here, here's the follow-up question I want to ask, because if I have to pick, I'll pick Justin Fields. Last year, Justin Herbert looked really uh-huh. good, but yep. the Chargers didn't win a lot of games. And I, I, I guess, what, what are we going to define success by? Is it going to be based off of what we see, or is it going to be based off of the numbers at the end of the year? Because I could see Zach Wilson putting up Numbers that look attractive, even if maybe he is not that. Uh, end I'm asking all. about the play. Like Justin Herbert last year would count. Okay, exactly. Like we would look at that and say, "Hey, Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow." Until he hurt, got hurt, looked really good. But both of those guys, you come out like, "Yeah, okay, I think there's something there." I don't think we're going to say that about Zach Wilson. I I do think we're going to say that about Justin Fields. I like Justin Fields a ton, and you brought this up with Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence has been the presumptive number one pick since the end of his first year. Yep. Yep. I don't know if he's looked that different to me either the past two years. I look, NFL, NFL, NFL evaluators go through a lot more when they pick, but there can also become groupthink, and a guy gets put up there on the pedestal and he doesn't really do anything to knock himself off. I, I don't know. I, I, I think right now, I think Justin Fields has looked better than than Trevor Lawrence. We did that with Tua too, and. Yep. Um, Look, we're two ways right now, so just something to keep in mind. I, I don't think Lawrence is going to be a bust, but I am not as sold as on him as everybody else. 
All right, guys. Next up, the uh, latest TikTok craze is the milk crate challenge. We've oh. seen this. Uh, everyone crashing and burning, trying to cross this over the... This is a horrible thing. Like, what are they doing? Are they trying to kill people? Yeah. Well, so, like, it looks awful. They, like, I've seen some people fall, and I'm like, dude, you're too old to be doing that. Someone actually did die, I believe. Doing yes, it. in Dallas. Yeah. What? Yeah, they did it on a on a like on concrete out in front of a gas station. It was horrible. Mm. It was on video. Oh my it, goodness! When I die, I don't want to be doing something that somebody says before I do it. Hey, I should film this. Oh my god! Like when I—that's not the way I want to go out. Is if somebody? Oh, hold on! Before you do that, let me turn on my phone so I can have a record of you killing yourself by being an idiot. Well, what I want to know, because I don't think you guys are big fans of, like, dancing on video either. So if you had to choose a TikTok, would you rather do one of the dances or the milk crate challenge? i do the milk crate challenge. That's for suckers. I'm dancing with my kids, man. We're getting it. We have dance parties in the living room all the time. We're, we're, I'm like, hey, guys, teach me. Keep me hip, guys. What, what are the kids doing these days? I'm definitely see, doing the dance. Yeah, see, I could pretend of like, oh, that's a tough... No, dude, I've already danced on the internet. I can't dance. I can't dance at all. But I danced. It was in Times Square that my wife recorded for a video she put together of a song she did. So, yeah, I've already danced. I've already looked like... I've answered that question. I, there's no chance of you dying dancing on video, though. Like, there's no, there's not any sort of situation where you're like, hey, if this goes wrong, you might land on that crate and break your back. <laughs> I tore up the dance floor at the wedding that I went to this past weekend to the point where a couple of people came over to me and were like, whoa, like, where, where, where is this coming from? Even then, there is no way that I'm going to be one of those you-know-what wigglers that I see on TikTok. Absolutely not. I'm going to dance on TikTok like I'm Juju Smith-Schuster to that stupid song that he does. Do the milk crate I'd challenge. rather risk death with the milk crate challenge than embarrass myself and, and, and take honor out of my name and the name of my family. You kind of embarrassed yourself with that humble wedding brag. Yeah. It's not a humble. Brag. That's not. There's nothing humble about it, Maura. That, that is an outright brag. brag. People is, coming over. Like, what do you think they said to him? They're like, hey, hey, where'd you <laughs> learn those moves? No, they said, like, it's so great to see people who are still alive acting like, you know, they're just the best. Which Over uh, under on the I age am. of the oh people who God. made this observation to Paul, because I'm going 69. 56. <laughs> How yeah. old were they, Paul? Uh, one seemed like they were in their late 50s. And, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I had a good time. Whatever. Sorry. All Sorry right. you guys don't. Moving on. I'm going to have to. Go break your back on a milk crate. Yeah. Be a great gonna... way to go. I'm going to have to turn the music down for this one because I need to play you guys a little sound for a moment. Damian Lewis was on Wyman and Bob yesterday and talked about a little competition that he and Gabe Jackson have going on. Gabe, fine, man. You know, just been out there having fun, you know, binding with each other. And, you know, he just bring the excitement. And we actually we got a bet going on who get the most knockdown this season. So me and him right now, we're going at it, trying to compete so we're going to get the most knockdown. So, between Damian Lewis and Gabe Jackson, most knockdowns this season, who do you think wins that battle? I like both of these guys. We interviewed both of them. They're, they're fun. It's Gabe, right? Old man Gabe's strength. Big, All day. Big, 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 big mountain of a man. Yeah. Gabe. Gabe. Gabe, Gabe. Gabe's the one that does this. Sorry, Damian. Now I'm going with the youngster. Oh! I'm going with Damian. You know what it is? It's like... Yes, Gabe has the the grown man strength, the dad strength and all that. But the young guys have that recklessness, though, right? They're just going to do things they're not supposed to do and maybe get himself in a situation, um, in situations where he surprises himself and knocks some dudes out because he's going so hard. So I'm going with the youngster, man. I appreciate the old man strength. I'm with the youngin. That is this or that. 
Michael Bump is in with us today. Uh, our training camp coverage brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. Uh, remember, there is opportunities to get out there and cheer on the Mariners during this homestand. Uh, lots of chances for that. Uh, tonight is sing-along fireworks night. Just a fun Friday night at the ballpark watching great baseball. Find tickets at Mariners.com. Are the Mariners starters starting to run out of gas, though? It looks like that's what happened with Yusei Kikuchi. Should we, we be worried? We'll tell you next. You're listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. We also got Michael Bumpus hanging out with us. Danny gets all riled up for this or that. This Harder Than You Think by Public Enemy riles me up. Back in Houston, this was my uh, opening music to my show. Love the little trumpets in the background. The Seattle Mariners are getting to a point, guys, in the regular season where it's the home stretch. I mean, shoot, we're almost in the last month of the year. And last night was a bummer. There were some wasted opportunities for this team. And in particular, it was a continuation of something that we've been seeing out of one of the Mariners' best players in the first half of the year that's a little bit concerning. And you got to wonder about what the reason is as the Mariners get closer and closer to the finish line, why Yusei Kikuchi has started to look the way that he's looked. Since July 7th, there have been a lot of starts where he's allowed at least three or more runs in all but two. He has been chased from games in the fifth inning or earlier pretty often as well. And he's not the only one that's been having issues. Last night, of course, he struggled in the fifth inning, a, excuse me, in the sixth inning, a grand slam, and he's not able to get out of said inning. But also, it's Logan Gilbert, too. Here's Ryan Roland Smith of Root Sports talking about what's been going on with the Mariners rookie, Logan Gilbert, and what's happened since that really dominant debut that he had. Before that Blue Jay star, the, the second last one you were talking about before the Astros won, um, Pete Woodworth said, hey, I want you to throw that slider harder. Now, sl- the slider is his biggest weapon next to that fastball, especially for throwing strikes. They said they want, we want that thing coming out 85 to 87 miles per hour. So next thing you know, you're either changing a grip. This is in a bullpen session. Changing a grip, changing a feel, changing the way you, you, know, you, you accelerate through your release point, all these little things. He's lost that pitch 100%. And he lost in Toronto. He finally threw one. It was like 87 uh, miles per hour to Bo Bichette late in the game. And it just took a left turn. That's the result they're looking for. That's the ultimate, that velocity and that movement. But right now, because he's trying to adjust and change that on the fly in the middle of August against some of these really good offenses, it's hard, man. Baseball's a little different in that. It's an 162-game season, guys. But I'm curious, Bump, you know, over the long haul for, for a season, when you start to go through struggles and also the grind of just playing in however many games starts to hit you, how do you adjust when you start to go through some struggles? Because you're probably not going to be at the 100% that you were at the beginning of the year. Well, it's, it's a bit different, football and baseball, right? With football, um, you're, you're bruised, you got sprains everywhere, you're banged up, and you find ways to get your body warm and able to perform for three and a half hours. And then as soon as you get off the field, it's like, all right, I feel like an old man again. <laughs> now, for pitchers, man, that is such an unnatural motion. Throwing a baseball. Like, that's why you see these softball pitchers. They can pitch every single day because that's 
naturally how the arm moves, you know, that that movement. Um, so I would assume now I've I throw the football with, with my kids and I'll throw 40 times and the next day my arm is sore and then I got to adjust the way I throw it the next day. So I can't imagine going up there and throwing 80 to 100 pitches um, and then every five days you got to do the same thing. Uh, it messes with your mechanics naturally. And then you're constantly trying to correct. You hear Ryan talking about that stuff. You're constantly trying to correct and get back to what you're doing when you're completely healthy, when your body's telling you, look, we can't do that right now. You know, I'm hurt. I'm banged up. So as athletes, you have to find ways to adjust. How they do that on the mound, I feel like is one of the more difficult things because you have to be so precise in your delivery and when you release it and, and starting from the ground up. Um, it's just a difficult thing, but the pros do it. I mean, we've seen guys have Hall of Fame careers adjusting on the mound. Some do it better than others. It seems like what Kikuchi is dealing with might be more mental than anything. Mm. And with Logan Gilbert, there's a physical adjustment that's mm-hmm. happening. And what I would mean by that is Yusei Kikuchi for five innings just looked great. He did. I, he looked awesome. And what, he'd thrown 62 pitches through those five innings? Like, he's starting to look like, hey, great. man, that's economical. Let's let's go. And and then what happens? What happens in the sixth? Well, he first pitch ball, then he gives up a single. Then he gives up a single on the first pitch he throws. Then he gives up a double on a 1-0 pitch. So in each of those, he's starting to get hit. And he's not throwing strikes. He's not starting off with strikes. And then he walks a guy on four pitches. Doesn't throw a strike to him at all. And I think that that is part of when he loses confidence or gets rattled, he stops challenging people and he starts nibbling. He starts trying to make mm-hmm. the perfect pitch instead of trusting his stuff. I think with Kikuchi, it's more mental. With Gilbert, it sounds like it's just he is learning how to – he's got a, a long angular frame. He's got a variety of pitches. Like we've heard them say, it. they think his changeup is going to be his best pitch, and that's something that throughout this season he's had a hard time having confidence in. I think we're seeing him kind of adjust to the execution, and maybe with Kikuchi it is a little bit of fatigue too. That he gets to a certain point in the game and he starts to feel tired, and they didn't have a full season last year, and it's he's still he's still relatively new to, to Major League Baseball. This is what his third year that that that, that he's over here, so. I, I think the challenge with Kikuchi is more mental. And with Gilbert, this is just part of the learning curve of, of getting in, in the big leagues. Which do you think is easier to deal with? The mental or the physical? I think it's the physical execution, right? Because I, I, I think getting you to believe in yourself and getting you to sort of trust your stuff when you're getting hit harder, I think that might be a mentality thing. I, I think it's the physical execution. That's what I've Because, and you heard... Ryan talk about he got that pitch to break the way he wanted to. 87 miles an hour, the right the right speed, the right movement, like that's what they want. Like when that happens, then it's a matter of just muscle memory, right? And just going through like, okay, that's how that's supposed to feel. I, I've always think that the physical adjustment is easier to make than the mental one, which is, all right, I've got to still be, yes, I've been hit hard a couple times, but I've, I've got to still go with my approach and, and, give, and, and get back to the way that I was feeling two, three innings ago and kind of shake these off. Which do you think is, which do you think is easier, Bob? Like, is it a physical adjustment? Is it mental? Man, I, for me, I think the mental is easier because you can tap back, at least in my experiences, you can uh-huh. always tap back into a place like these were my thoughts. Right. Yeah. This is this is what I did prior to this this moment happening. If I'm healthy, the physical is going to, you know, going to be there. But I think the mental is easier because 
Um, it's like self-talk, you know, and, and I, for every, I, I would assume for every athlete is different, right? Because some guys rely on their mental more than their physical because their physical isn't their, their greatest asset. You know, you look at a, a Marco, we talk about his competitiveness. That's probably his greatest trait, right? Him being able to, to grind through some stuff and, and make things happen. So it's a case by case deal. For me, it was, it was probably the mental that's easier. But the mental for some guys, especially at cornerback, I would imagine that that's a really difficult one to overcome in the moment and in addition game to game too because I, I would bet bump that in football you get those opportunities maybe as a wide receiver say a pass comes your way and all of a sudden you drop it okay the quarterback might not throw your way for a while even if you're open and then I would imagine you could start questioning yourself like wait a second like what am I doing wrong here it was just one you know mistake mistakes happen over the course of a game so I I would I would think, and this is just me on the outside looking in, but I would think for, for a lot of guys it's got to be something mental because there's so many players I think in this league that have the athletic uh, have the athleticism necessary to actually be good, but all of a sudden say you're Trey Flowers or you're Akella Witherspoon and you have a couple of bad games in a row, what can you really do to shake it except for go back out there? And you're probably nervous when you're going back out there if it continues to go bad, to go poorly. And I think that's what's been going on with Kikuchi. Like, he has those starts against the good teams, whether it's the Astros or the Yankees, and he, and he seemed a little tentative there, and it, it's carried over. Yeah, it's – with the physical, you can't really change who you are. You can't change how fast you throw a football or a baseball. You can't change how high you're going to jump. I mean, once you, you're a mature adult – you are who you are. I think the mental is the thing that you can change. You know, we've seen people battle depression and come out on top. You know, we've seen people battle a lot of things mentally and find their way through it. Once you're broken, that physical man, <laughs> you're just broken. You are who you are. So it's, I think it's important that, that we have this conversation because now people realize like it's not just, okay, go out and get it done. Like, you know, one day, one day that right leg might be tight. You know, you're not pushing off the mound the way you used to. Now you have to change, you know, your mechanics or whatnot, but the thing that I at least I feel like you can always rely on is just trying to be mentally tough and pushing your way through things. It's Danny and Gallant. That is Michael Bumpus Bump. We always appreciate you joining us. It was a lot of fun today. You have yourself a great weekend. We will get your thoughts on what the Seahawks did in their last preseason game next week. All right, guys. Take care. Michael Bumpus 5 on Twitter. Danny and Gallant, 710 ESPN Seattle. There were a lot of missed opportunities for the Mariners in last night's game, but also you say Kikuchi is going through some stuff. How does Scott Service feel about Kikuchi? Some fantastic and compelling audio from Scott Service on Kikuchi next.